Welcome to the Beers and Bible Podcast, the podcast that explores God's Word while enjoying the fruits of God's creation. You can find us on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore, on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast, and on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can also email us at Beers and Bible Podcast at gmail.com. If you enjoy what you hear on Beers and Bible, please consider leaving a five-star rating and a review on your podcast platform to help us promote this podcast. Billy Currington summed it up well when he said, God is great, beer is good, and people are crazy. So let us join our hosts, Michael and Anthony, for this week's discussion. Welcome to episode number 110 of the Beers and Bible Podcast. I am Michael. And I am Anthony. And we're glad to have another week to drink some beer and talk about the Bible. Yeah, man. We are ready to roll. This is our second second week in our series in Philippians that we're going to be diving into today. We, yes. we tackled all of two verses last week. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of... I mean, not... Concerned? Concerned that we're going to try to tackle... <laughs> <laughs> Nine verses, eight verses this week. It'll yeah. get done. We'll be fine. It, it'll be yes. a great time had by all, especially yes, us, because we'll probably right. <laughs> we might be the only people that make it all the way to the end. Oh man, Anthony, what's up, man? What's going on with man. you? Uh, so we're we're trying to do a little bit ahead of the schedule. So it's New Year's Day, and uh, and we're recording this, but. We had a great New Year's. Uh, we were the exciting people to go to bed at like a you know ten thirty or eleven o'clock at night. Um, you know, just because when you have a four year old, that's what you do. You just go to bed early. <laughs> he was in the bed at like you know eight thirty or nine, and we weren't far after that. So uh, not a whole lot going on around here these days. It seems like I've I've really that's what we're uh, like. I haven't done things that I don't absolutely positively have to do for like the last two weeks if mm-hmm. if it could wait it has been put off yep so i totally get that <laughs> just you know i felt like the last couple of months was just insanely busy and so i said you know what uh we're taking a couple of weeks off recording and you know we picked up last week and now we got this week um and i was like i'm just gonna i'm gonna be prepared for recording that's all i'm gonna do i'm doing nothing else i this will shock you i haven't even read a book in the last seven days that's really shocking because <laughs> you post books like all the time. I do. And I was like, I posted some books that I'm getting ready to read, some books that I've read over the year. You know, every every year I try to do like a, you know, here's kind of the top books that I enjoyed mm-hmm. um, over the last year. And so I've done that in, in kind of the off time, but I haven't really started anything new. I didn't, I got to a point where I didn't really have anything that I was like, man, I really want to read that. And so I was like, I'm just going to wait and, uh, I used some Amazon gift cards that I got for Christmas to order my 2022 books, and now I have a I have a few rolling for the start of the year, That's which good. will start today. Cool, man. How about you? What's going on in your world, dude? We are kind of in the same boat. Um, you know, last night being New Year's Eve, we tried to shoot off fireworks over at a friend's house, and we did one, and my son wasn't having it, so we'd stop. <laughs> he doesn't like loud noises, so. Yeah. Um, we just decided not. We'll try again, maybe in July, at Fourth of July. Of course, then we'll have See a newborn. Happens. So who knows? Um, so Dude, yeah, newborns love fireworks. What are you talking about? They I know, right? <laughs> so um, no, but we're good. Um, last couple of days, I was just me and Anthony were just talking. We've started the uh, 
complete reorganization of our house in preparation for our new baby coming in May. We are nesting hard. My office <laughs> is a disaster right now. Um, <laughs> you can't see it, Anthony, but on the other on the other side of my screen here, there's just a giant pile of junk. Um, nice. <laughs> but no, we're good. Uh, staying, I guess, like staying busy, but not worrying about any of the work stuff because it can wait till Monday. And that's um, right. <laughs> getting ready to drink some beer and get back into Philippians. Let's do it. Well, speaking of beer, what are you going to drink today? So today, because it's uh. Three o'clock in the afternoon, and not our typical <laughs> nine o'clock at night when we usually record. We are officially day drinking. <laughs> it's not better than morning drinking, I guess. That's, um, that's true. So, not a little bit. So t- today I have a new brewery to the Beers and Bible podcast, the Munkle Brewing Company. They're based in Charleston, South Carolina. I have the Brug City Brune Brown Belgian Ale. Um, S- Say that five times fast. I can't. Um, so it is a uh, obviously Belgian ale, six point two ABV, twenty four IBUs, according to Untapped. Uh, Munkle's website didn't have any information about their specific beers. Um, I think probably because they can them in house and sell them from their brewery, like from their bar mm-hmm. kind of thing. So they, I mean, you can't order it online. I don't think. Um, actually, how I got this, and Anthony will have a similar story. Um, my in-laws went to Charleston on an anniversary trip at the beginning of December and brought mm-hmm. me back a six-pack um, of beers from uh, – three beers from two different breweries. So I've got one of three from Munkle Brewing and then th- one of three from another uh, brewery. Um, nice. So but anyway, the profile on Untapped has um, – the aroma is a bready malt, fruity esters, plum, and burnt sugar. Flavors toasty and slightly sweet with a complex fruit bouquet, and it's a quick dry finish. So I don't, oh, I don't know what to expect of this thing, but I'm excited. <laughs> and um, this will actually be the first beer or alcohol of any kind I drank in 2022. Uh, same here. This will be my first beer. Because it's 3 o'clock on January 1st. <laughs> 3 o'clock. <laughs> I've been doing. You're not wrong. I've been doing other stuff today. So, what are you drinking, Anthony? <laughs> Man, uh, I do. I have one um, that is also from a friend of mine. My buddy Marcus uh, works in the restaurant business, and he travels a lot. And so he uh, visited around and, and picked me up a, a, like a mix pack of a bunch of different beers. And he said that this one tasted like Sour Patch Kids. And if you know me, you know my love of candy, and I love Sour Patch Kids. And so I'm so really good. excited about this, but it's this is from the Glacial Till um, Vineyard. It's actually like it. It just says Vineyard and Craft Cider Company. Like it's it's two part. I don't know. Oh, so it's Glacial not even Till. A, Glacial Till. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, Glacial Till. This is called the Cider Patch Punch. Is what it's called, and they call it. It says it's a tropical fruit punch creation, a unique blend of sweet and sour. So I'm excited about this because there are a lot of high reviews on the Untapped website for this thing, and so and I love um, Sour Patch Kids because they're sour and then they're sweet, and so I want to see how a cider or a beer is going to do that sweet and sour thing. It's going to be interesting. Sounds like it. Well, let's crack them open and let's drink them. Let's do it. Here we go. Three, two, one, crack. 
Mine is my beer is in a uh, Atlanta Braves World Series champion koozie. Nice. I'm drinking out of my beer survival stein that Lauren made for us today. I'm not drinking out of mine. It's in the freezer. I'm saving it for later. Dude, this thing is like pink. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell because of yeah. the light, but yeah, it look, it's, it's lo- like it's like blood red. <laughs> it looks like you know how in um like movies sometimes I'll drink you know brandy or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what that looks like. Um, I'm going to go ahead and remind you now. We need to make sure you need to make sure you get a picture of your can before you throw it away because that's the only Already one did. you got. Okay, cool. <laughs> You're one step ahead of me. Well, let's turn them up and let's drink them. Let's do it. Bottoms up. That's an interesting flavor. The smell of this thing, it almost, maybe it's just a cider smell, but it has a, a little bit of, of a skunky smell to it. Skunky? Yeah. It's surprising because the taste is not skunky at all. Hmm. But when I was just smelling it, I was like, ooh, that's interesting. I don't, I don't know if it's the sweet and the sour mixed together. That makes it do that. How does it compare to Sour Patch Kids? Um, it's really close. It's really close. It's it's got that. It's like this when you drink it. It's got the the sting of the sour, and then once you once you've swallowed, it's like it leaves a sweet aftertaste. It's oh, it's like it's because so, re- it's like when Sour Patch Kids. With Sour Patch Kids, they're initially sour because of all the mm-hmm. stuff on the outside. Once yeah. you get through, the, or a warhead almost, you know? Yes. When you get through all the sour, then it becomes sweet again. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the cider, I think, is is what makes it that, that punchy, like, almost sour feel. Yeah. It's really, it's it's got, the first part of it is really tart, which is good. That's what you want. And then mm-hmm. the ending, the finish is... How it leaves you with a sweetness. It's really interesting. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know what I'm going to rate this. Well, do you want to sit on that while I talk about mine? Y- yes, you talk about yours, and I'm going to sit on mine for a minute. So mine is a Belgian, a Belgian brown ale. Um, I am historically not a huge fan of Belgians. Mm-hmm. That's been noted before. Um, this is has decent flavor. It's pretty smooth. Um, not a terrible like, re- not a really punchy bite or anything like that. Right. But on the same on the on the flip side, like it's not as like there's nothing really anything big to write home about this beer. It's just kind of your run of the mill, middle of the road kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not a knock on Munkle or this particular brew or anything. Excuse me. <clears throat> it's not a knock on them at all, but. Uh, for me, it's it's not one that I'm going to – it's probably not one I'm going to seek out ever. Yeah. Like if I see it on the menu somewhere, I'm not going to be like, oh, I've had that. I'm going to have it again. It's not yeah. that good. Um, it's it's decent, but it's not – I'll go ahead and rate it. Um, I think 2022 is going to be the year I figure out how to rate <laughs> stuff because this, like this is like a three and a half Luther beer. Nice. Okay. So three, three and a half for um, the Brug City Brune from Munkle Brewing, um, and that's just—I mean—that's personally what I'm going to rate it. It's not yeah. an indictment on 
Munkle or this particular beer is just kind of how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. So the the cider patch punch is interesting. Um, it definitely has sour and sweet notes. It definitely has the flavor of sour patch kids if you shoved like 60 sour patch kids in your mouth all at one time okay and just like eight because like each sour patch kid has its own like distinct little flavor yeah the red the the reds reds taste different than the blues they They do and the yellow and the green yeah yes and so that's what i was like that's what i was curious about is is which sour patch kid is this going to taste like is this going to be a red guy or i mean it's red is it going to be a blue guy or is it going to be an orange guy the green guys are my least favorite Sour Patch Kid. I still like them, but they're my least favorite. Mm-hmm. And this tastes like all of them. you mixed all of them together. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not bad, but it's just not my favorite taste because mm-hmm. I, I'm, you know, I'm the guy who sorts his M and M's by color. I segregate my Skittles. I like I'm that guy, mm-hmm. and I'm okay being that guy. I do the same thing with my Sour Patch Kids. I eat I eat them one flavor at a time, and so. Because of that, it's just not exactly like it's not what I was hoping it was going to be. It is good. It does have good flavor. Um, it does have this the sour and the sweet kind of back and forth, which I think is really interesting how they how they d- did that. I'm mm-hmm. not sure um, the way it's really sour up at the front, and then when you swallow it, when you finish it, it's it definitely is sweet. So um, because of that, I'm going to come in and I'm going to give them four Luthers. Okay. Um, Mostly because I wanted to like I wanted an individual Sour Patch Kid flavor, not like like all if of it them. had been a red Sour Patch Kid, you would have been like five Luthers probably. Probably would have given it five Luthers if that were the case. Um, but because it, I mean, because it tastes like I just threw a bunch of Sour Patch Kids in my mouth, mm-hmm. then then I'm gonna I'm gonna back them down a little bit. I'm gonna give them four Luthers. It's really good. I mean, I think they did a great job. Ciders are something that are growing on me. Um, I've haven't been a huge cider fan of things in the past, but mm-hmm. I've, I've gotten to where I really kind of enjoy them, uh, especially the tart ones. And so, uh, there you go. The cider patch punch is going to get four Luthers from me and that'll do it. Well, there you go. So where are we going next? So after the short break that we have in the middle of our episodes, every time, um, we're going to dive into our study in Philippians. We finished chapter one verses one and two last week um and tonight or today whenever whenever you're listening to this um we're gonna go philippians one verse verses three through eleven so stay with us and we'll be right back Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. We are going to keep diving into Philippians. We're going to continue on. Um, last week, we introduced the book of Philippians. We talked a little bit about the history, why the book is important to us. Gave the introduction. Paul gives kind of his little standard introduction there. Um, just kind of dove into that a little bit. So if you if you missed that, we encourage you to go back and catch up on that real quick. 
Um, but today we're going to be diving into verses 3 through 11, and our kind of, I guess our subject today, our, our topic for today is going to be joy, having joy. Um, in these verses, you're going to see Paul, he's going to have a lot of joy, and he's going to have joy in a pretty bad circumstance, which, you know, we're going to get into later in, in the first chapter. So mm-hmm. um, I'm going to start, and I'm going to read us uh, verses 3 through 11 of Philippians chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, then uh, turn and read with me. This is uh, beginning in verse 3. It says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying for you with joy, or always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Mm. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you, because I have you in my heart, and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and in every kind of discernment, so that you may approve of the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Wow. Yeah, Paul Paul uh, has a way of just kind of laying things out there. Yeah. And and it just being like, well, yep, okay, there it is. <laughs> um, and, and that's what he does here. I mean, in this whole passage, Paul is like just saying, I'm filled with joy. And I'm remembering you all. I'm, I'm. Here's why I feel this way, and it's right for me to feel this way. Um, mm-hmm. And Paul's just like, he he seems to be almost reminiscing on yeah. on on days past, not necessarily like longing to go back to those days, or but he's more like thankful for them. Does yeah. that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. He he definitely is, and and I mean, I think you got to remember that that Paul's in jail, so he doesn't really have a lot to do you know it's not like he's getting up and going to work and yeah staying busy i mean it's like when you're when you're in this in a place where you can't go anywhere so a lot of times you kind of just sink into your own thoughts and you kind of yeah. you kind of remember things um and so you know he's in these poor circumstances he's in jail but he's still kind of going back and and remembering where he's come from and and he's doing that with the purpose of kind of bringing joy. Yeah. You know, he says it from the beginning. He prays for the church with joy. And so, um, you know, I I think there's a couple of things that you can, that you can really draw from this. And that is, even when your circumstances are bad, you can, you can actively say, no, I'm going to have joy. Yeah. Because, because I have Christ. Yeah. The, the choice to live in joy is a choice. It has nothing to do with your circumstances or what's going on no. in your life. Um, but choosing choosing to live in joy is so much more freeing because you can look mm-hmm. at the things going on around you and be like, you know what? Life is really hard right now, but because of Jesus, because I have Jesus in my heart, I'm filled with joy, and I'm not going to let my circumstances get me down. And it's, no. and it's really, I, I mean, I feel like in the modern church, in our church today, Big C church, not like local church, but like, I feel like so many Christians walk around defeated because of their circumstances. 
Yeah. And what would our walks with Jesus look like if we said, instead of, instead of relying on Jesus to fix my circumstances, mm-hmm. I'm going to allow my circumstances to fix my eyes on Jesus. Yes. It, it's going to get to the heart of the end of Philippians is what it's going to do. Yeah. It's going to change your outlook on contentment, and it's going to change your outlook on what your circumstances actually do to affect you. Yeah. You know, um, I always think about um, the story of Joseph in Genesis. You know, you get the, you, re, you get to the whole story of Joseph, and at the end of the story, um, Genesis chapter 50, Joseph says, what he's looking at his brothers, and he says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that that to me just just exudes this kind of joyful mindset. Yeah. It's, you, you know, I'm sure there were days where he was in jail or something was going wrong, and Joseph was like, you have got to be kidding me. Yeah. You know, this can't get any worse. Or, or you know, but but as things continue to play out, as God had really kind of providentially led them to, mm-hmm. then then you get to the end of that story, and Joseph says, look back at it. Yeah. You you had nothing but deceit and bad intentions in your heart. Yeah. And and even though you had deceit and bad intentions in your heart, God still used that deceit and bad intentions for his glory and his good. Yeah. And, and, and continue that. Like, Joseph had no part in all the, st- like, what's the biggest part that Joseph had in what happened in his life? Like, his, his he was da- just there. His, <laughs> he was his dad's favorite, despite being he was yeah. the youngest of twelve. Right, he was the youngest of twelve. So, so and he, he was his favorite. He was his dad's favorite. His dad gave him the coat. His brothers sold him into slavery. You know, like all these things that happened to Joseph had nothing to do with Joseph. Yeah, and he, for somebody to be like, you know, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. It would have been really easy for Joseph to say, you know what, y'all are the ones that put me here. Get out. Yeah. It, it, yeah. But but Joseph Joseph was more focused on being like God and being yeah showing love and compassion on his brothers and understanding that it's not just about Joseph it's about yeah. his uh circle of influence yeah and so that's what i mean that's what we're talking about when we say our joy is found in Christ because nothing that people do to you is going to take that joy away from you it's not going to mm-hmm. change your mindset because your joy is not focused on what people do to you or what's happening around you or anything like that. But when your joy is found in Christ, that's going to lead you to a type of intercession that Paul does here in verse four. And intercession is really something that, that I think the church, they lack in, they struggle with. Mm -hmm. Um, I know I do. Um, you know, I, I, I'm the world's worst of, hey, man, will you pray for this? Absolutely. Um, never do. You know? <laughs> well, like... and I think, I think part of the problem with that is that, like, intercession or how to intercede isn't, like, taught. It's not. You know, and, and I mean, it's not that it has to be, like, this super spiritual, like, our Father, come before <laughs> you now. Like, you don't, there, there's nothing, like, your language doesn't matter. But, you know, how do I properly intercede or, like, how do I know if my intercession is accomplishing what 
I don't know. It's a really weird place to be in when you talk about yeah. intercession because you're like, I'm interceding <laughs> for this person, but I have no idea what's going on on the other end of the prayer. Yeah. Or in the you know, person's life. Or yeah. And and I think that's where I think that's where the church has gotten it wrong for the years because we have gone into intercessory prayer with the idea that we need to know what happens on the other side. No, we don't. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's when when you're interceding. You're putting it all on God and saying, God, you do what you want to do. Yep. You you do it your way, and I'm just going to be over here watching. I think maybe part of the part of the problem, or not the problem, but maybe the the hiccup when uh-huh. intercession is like when we pray and the result is not what we were praying for. Yeah, and then we're like we get gun shy almost as as yeah. far as interceding. And it's like, well, it didn't work. Yeah, in air quotes, you know, <laughs> it's like no, like. You can pray for something, it not be the will of God, and God answer your yeah. prayer in a different way. Like it's God saying no is still an answer to prayer. Yeah, and and I, so I'm, and so like getting our mindset out of the, like I'm praying for it, so God's gonna bring it bring it forth. Like that that's not biblical yeah. at all. <laughs> I, I I think I've I've thought about this statement a lot over the last probably four or five months, and and especially just you kind of digging a little bit into prayer, but. I would say, I would argue that prayer should be more effectual for us than it should be effectual on the outcome of what we're praying for. Mm-hmm. And and what I mean by that is prayer should be changing us because it's teaching us. Prayer is, is a communication. It's a way that we talk to God, and it should be teaching us more and more how we can align ourselves with God's will. And so that is going to affect us. And it's not going to necessarily, it might effect the result of the prayer, but at the end of the day, the effect is not where we're going for. We're going for our change, what right. what changes inside of us, how are we affected by the way that we pray. Yeah. You know, if if we if we didn't continually pray, then we would never get better at prayer. You know, and, and I think about I, I listen to my ten-year-old uh, and my four-year-old say prayers at night, and my ten-year-old's like, you know, God, we thank you for you know these things that you've provided for us. We thank you for these blessings that you have in our lives. And then I go to my four-year-old, and and he's he's like, God, thank you that my pillow is awesome and cool. Amen. And I'm like, you know, I'm, <laughs> how do you understand? How do you get it? <laughs> What can you know, I do I to help like, you no. understand? <laughs> but but you know the the whole point that I want for them is not to be like have these most you know amazing prayers at four years old. Mm-hmm. I just want them to learn how to talk to God. That's yeah. it. That's all I want them to do. And then as they grow older, as they go through the process of sanctification, guess what? They're going to naturally get better yeah. at it. The end outcome of our prayers to God should have nothing to do with what we're praying to God for. That's right. It has. It is all about a heart change within mm-hmm. us based on our conversation with God. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. So when we talk about intercession and intercessory prayer, I, I think it, uh, it was R. Kent Hughes, I was reading in one of the commentaries, that he made this observation that Paul rarely focuses his prayers on things mm-hmm. and more focuses on people. And I think that's that's a heart of intercession because so many times— we like to focus on things because things are really easy to pray for. Right. You know, um, 
praying for things is easy. Praying for people is hard because if you're praying for people, you have to be involved. You have to be vulnerable. You have to know how to pray for those people. Yeah. But I think praying for people, like, it's a two-way street because it shows yeah. it shows we care for them, but also, yeah. like, they know that they can come to us and, like, when we say, you know, if you have anything you would like for me to pray for, they know that we're going to do it. And, yeah. and having more people go, you know, praying on your behalf mm-hmm. can help fill you with joy. We're coming back to – there we go, coming back to joy. <laughs> coming but back like, to joy. But, like, when you know you're not alone or you know there's other people in your corner talking to God about whatever it is you're going through. Yeah. Like, that just fills you with a confidence and a, that could fill you with peace that can't come from anywhere else. Yeah. And and that type of mentality is is really contrary to what American mentality is in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You know, the American mentality is bigger and better, bigger house, bigger cars, bigger, you know, pick your thing and make it bigger. Yeah. Uh, bigger church. Um that's that's the mentality, but bigger is not always necessarily better. You know, I, mm-hmm. I loved uh, Tim Taylor, Tool Time. Uh, you know, he always wanted to do something bigger, and then and then what always ended up happening was it, Al had to come over and fix it. It inevitably <laughs> blew up literally in his face. Great show. Oh, Great man. show. Oh, such a good show. But, you know, if we carry that mentality into everything, then then that necessarily affects our prayers. And we think, oh, our prayers have to be bigger. You know, they have to be more boisterous. They have to be... And when they do that, they become more and more vague. They become less affectual on us. Mm-hmm. And and I would argue if they're less affectual on us, then in the end, they're less effectual. Right. Because we're not praying for specific things. Right. And so you almost have to get this smaller mentality of, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray deeply for two or three people. Instead of praying for the whole world. Yeah. You know? I think we need to remember, too, that God knows our hearts at all times. And so, like, Mm -hmm. when you... Even if you're praying to God about a specific thing, but your motives are not necessarily right. Like, like I'm trying to be really careful here because I, like, (laughs) don't want to word this in the wrong way. But, like, God knows... If God knows your initial motive... Uh Uh-huh. God knows, like, why you're praying for the thing you're praying for. Yep. God may be like, I'm not going to answer the prayer you're wanting me to answer because your motives aren't right. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's a real thing. It's, it, it very well could be that. And we don't understand that. But again, that's where prayer is affectual on us. We have to examine ourselves. Mm -hmm. Why are we praying for this thing? Why are we doing this? You know, that's why prayer should affect us. It's not wrong. I mean, let's go back to Lamentations. It's not wrong to ask for things. It's not wrong to complain about things. It's not Mm -hmm. wrong to do that. But again, all of that should turn you to trust in God. And if it's not, if that prayer is not affecting you in such a way that it turns you to trust in God, then you need to examine the motives of that prayer. It's like the process of lament could be used not just in lament. It, oh yeah, absolutely. It can it can overflow into a like, lot of different like parts. seasons <laughs> of joy, seasons of yeah. I, I think yeah, that's mm, hadn't thought about yeah. that, but that's <laughs> so. You know, I, I love this quote that was there in the in the talking about this whole like American bigger, smaller mm-hmm. thing that we've been on here, and it says if you have everything but Jesus, you'll be longing for more, and if you have nothing but Jesus, 
you have everything you need. Mm. And and I, you know, when I read that quote, it, the the thing that that popped into my mind was an old John Mayer song, "Something's Missing." You know, he he goes, it's like he's in part of the lyrics. He's reading down this list. You know, friends, check money, check. Um, he's checking off all these boxes of things that he has in his life. But at the end of the day, the whole point of that song is, even though he has all of that, something is missing. And you know, the the evangelist inside of me screams. I'll tell you what's missing. You're missing Jesus. You're missing Christ. You're missing the whole point of your life. You're missing mm-hmm. the reason of your creation. You know, you're <laughs> you've got such an amazing talent, but it's being wasted on frivolous and worldly things. Yeah. Uh, you know, and but again, that that will when we turn our heart to the right attention, when we turn everything in on Christ and we put our focus on Christ and our joy is in Christ, then we will naturally have joy, but it will not be a joy that we have in and of ourselves. It will be the joy that God gives us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, because at the end of the day, that's where it, that's where it comes down. Yeah. It's not about, it's not about like our joy alone, but it's about finding joy in our relationship and our partnership with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So we have Boom. joy in prayer. Now we're going to talk about joy in our partnership. And Paul is talking about partnering, uh, with the Philippian church. You know, he says, he says, Paul's partnership is in the gospel from the first day until now. And it's it's been, I think it's, I was reading a couple of commentaries, it's been like 10 years at this point. Okay. From the founding of the Philippian church until he's writing this letter. It's been about 10 years. How long has it been since he's been to the church? Mm, I don't know. Do it's hard know to that? say. Okay. It's hard to say. I'm just wondering if that is like driving, like, wonder if he's like, I haven't talked to them in a while. Or, it if, it, or if it's like, I'm in jail, I ain't got nothing else to do. <laughs> Might be a little bit of both, you know. It's, I mean, a lot of his letters were written, yeah. Um, well, while he was in prison, because I mean, he really didn't have anything better to do. He wasn't yeah. going around and and actively, you know, doing his missionary journeys. He was stuck in prison. So, yeah. um, but the, it's interesting. The word um, that they use here for partnership is the word, and I'm I'm sure if you've ever been in a Baptist church at any point in time, you've heard this word, uh, koinonia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is the Greek word for partnership or fellowship. Okay. Um, but what's funny is about is this word. A lot of times we try to narrow it down to this like super uh, spiritualized meaning of it's you know oh it's the fellowship between believers that happens when the church gathers and and they you know I've heard I've actually heard pastors try to narrow it down to like koinonia is what happens when the church is specifically gathered together to worship God and I'm like. Okay, yes, that's not wrong, but that's not what the word means. You right. Know? And the the word is a very generic word. It's it's really could be, you know, any type of of transaction or any type of relationship, business relationships, marriage relationships, all of them are a form of partnership, and that's what the word koinonia actually carries the connotation of is any type of relationship that you have with any person. Believer. So it could be an believer unbeliever. or not, or like Bank teller, person at the gas yeah. station, <laughs> grocery store, exactly. like like any kind of. Wow, that's nuts. Yeah, like, that's, I mean, so that it's is, a really common word. That is really. Every time they say that is really out of context. <laughs> Shocker, I know. If, but wow. if you've ever heard that at a church, you know, and and so, you know, under and and so Paul is being a little loose with his terms here, mm-hmm. and and. It's okay. It's, it's there's nothing wrong with it because if you look at the common denominator between Paul and the Philippian church, 
he's talking about in the context that Paul's using this, he's saying the koinonia, the partnership is the gospel. Okay. And so, so that's what's bringing these two things together. And that, and that, and that's kind of where I was heading with all that is, yes, it's a very common word. It's a very generic word, but you can use it very specifically. But uh, it, to to say that the word itself is specific is is not uh, honest to the definition of the word. So it's um, not the first time that that's happened. <laughs> definitely happens a lot. So, yeah. um, but you know, so why are why is Paul and the Philippian church? Why are they partnered at the gospel? What you know? What is it about the gospel that brings these in together into this partnership? I mean, when the church co-labors together mm-hmm. and carries out the gospel, like it's going to naturally produce joy. Yes. Like when you're think about it, if you've ever been on a mission trip and you've shared the gospel or been the hands and feet of Jesus to somebody who mm-hmm. doesn't know the gospel or is hearing it for the first time or hasn't been served, like seeing their face light up with like an understanding of who Jesus is or like just a blown away, just being blown away by like somebody choosing to come and serve them wherever they are like that. I've been on two mission trips that has filled me with so much joy. Like you have no idea. Like I could, I could not articulate how joyful those things can be when you see like the simple, like just hanging out with kids who don't have, parents or don't have anyone yeah. in their home that they can just like chill with like like that's or that, don't even have a home or don't have a home <laughs> like like let's let's but it's, it's just nuts to think like the simplest things that we take for granted here like fill people with so much joy or like not having a bible yeah that like the the last time i went to africa the girl we sponsor found me like we went and saw her and then she found me at the place we were staying and she said like she wrote, she wrote like a little note and said, Hey, thank you for coming and visiting me at home in my home. I don't have a Bible. Yeah. And I was like, that is heart wrenching. Cause like I pass Bibles all the time here. Yeah. And so like we, we like knowing that me and my wife, me and my family were able to like provide that need, but also like fill that, fill that joy shaped hole in her heart. <laughs> Yeah. Where she didn't have a physical copy of God's word, like I've got a Bible on my phone. Yeah, like it, it's nuts to think that like s- simple things like not having a physical copy of God's word can be the difference in yeah. like it, it's just nuts. So I've got I've got a shelf of Bibles. I've got a shelf dedicated to Bibles in my library. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and here's it, somebody who doesn't even have and access this, to and a this, copy. And this girl who like lives in a mud hut with her parents and a couple of siblings, like all she like that's what she asked for. She was like, yeah, I just, I don't, she wanted me to know she didn't have a Bible. Yeah. Which was nuts to me. Oh, God, well, that broke at, me, by the way, that broke <laughs> me. And, and it should, because that is, that is a prime example of what it means to co-labor mm-hmm. with people. And when you, when you look at other Christians, when you look at other believers as co-laborers, then you have a different perspective. And I really loved this quote from the the commentary that we're kind of drawing a lot from. Um, It said, sadly, many in the church, and and I would, he says the church, I would preface this as sadly, many in the American church. Mm -hmm. 
see what's out there, see what's going on as an audience of customers to be pleased rather than a group of coworkers who spread the gospel. Mm. And, you know, it's, and, and you can look at, and, and I'm going to try to be nice, but, but when you look at churches and the, the church looks more like a concert production than it does people co-laboring, then it's, it just, I mean, it, it, you're getting, you're getting real close. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's, again, that's not a knock on, on churches who do excellence and still do a ton of community things. And they, they provide opportunities because I don't think that just because a church has high production that they're, you know, uh, a shallow wasteland of, of no theology and they're not sharing the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't think that to be true at all, but right. at the, at the same time, I think if that is where your Sunday morning ends and you don't do anything past that, then yes, that is what you are. You're seeing your audience as customers. You're trying to build your Sunday morning into something that is going to draw people into your Sunday morning so that you can have bigger numbers on Sunday morning. Right, and, and completely neglect what happens at 12 noon on Sunday until the following Sunday morning. Exactly. Exactly. And in so the, in, if, the, in the lives of, your, of the people that show up on Sunday morning— Yes, their, their impact of a church should be more than just Sunday morning. Yes, in I mean, in fact, Sunday morning should be the outflow of what has happened from twelve o'clock Sunday afternoon until the following Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's where you really see if a church is gospel partnered or if they're just proclaiming something that they feel like is going to draw people to their pews and chairs and create the look or the persona that you you are sharing the gospel. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's really heartbreaking because you, like, <laughs> think about, like, Paul is in prison, yeah. and not, like, prison like we know it today where it's, like, you got three meals, you get to go out in the yard, like, like he's yeah. in like solitary confinement, biblical times, behind bars, dirt floor, yeah, mud. Like like it's, and he's like, I got joy here, yeah, and and, and he's finding joy in Jesus, yeah. It, it's just nuts. I'm we're we're gonna hit on it next week. I'm I'm gonna go ahead and preface it. We're gonna hit on it next week, um, but about what Paul did while he was in prison. So teaser. There you go. Uh, <laughs> um, so we have the joy in partnership. Next, we have the joy in God's work. Yeah. So, so here, Paul's prayer for the church and his partnership with them can flow in flows into verse six. It flows yeah. ver- naturally into verse six, yeah. which says, um, to, "Hang on, I had it here. I, I'm sure of this that he who started good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ." Um, Paul's confident because his confidence is located in God. It's not located mm-hmm. in what's going on in his life. It's not located in um, his circumstances or even like where he is physically. We just talked mm-hmm. about it. He's in prison, and he's yeah. confident that he who began a good work <laughs> will carry yeah. it on. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, this refers is this phrase "he who started a good work" points back to what God has already initiated. Yeah. Um, if, if we looked at it differently, it could say, I am sure that God will finish what he started. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's something that should give, that should give us confidence because 
if God is a promise keeper and God is someone who does what he if he says what he means and means what he says, like the Bible, um, like when God starts a work, he's going to carry it out to completion. Yeah, it may not necessarily look the way we think it'll look. Like when he mm-hmm. starts a work, sorry, just my mic. <laughs> It may not necessarily look that's the way we think it's going to, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we think it's going to look like. Right. God's going to care. God's the one that's going to carry it out. And yep. so our our job in the process is to trust God with the process. Yes. And whatever details about the process, trust God with the process and stop trying yep. to force our wills and force our desires into God's plan. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, in this context, um, I, I think it's it's important to know the context of the verses you're in. And so in this context, Paul is saying to the Philippian church, he who began a good work. Well, you know, what's the work in this context? I would argue that the work in this context is the starting of the Philippian church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we go a little bit further into this, um, we're going to see that there was some other things happening in the church and there was some division in the church and, you know, and so there is a reason Paul is writing this, but he's starting, he's starting off the letter that knowing that these divisions are happening, but even in the midst of those divisions, Paul says to them, Hey, God started this. God's going to finish it. You guys need to, you need to get with the program. You need to, you need, you need to figure out what's going on, reconcile yourselves back together, be unified in Christ Mm -hmm. and then carry on the work of the gospel. Um, and so I, I think that's the, the, the direct context of this of this verse, but I also think it could be applied to other things that that God starts. And and I think it speaks to the character of God um, to say that whatever God starts, anything that God starts, God will finish. And mm-hmm. and you know I, I think creation is the perfect example of that. God started creation. God's going to finish creation. Yeah, and and we may not be finished yet, but it will happen. And the other thing that that I think the very first good work, especially in the life of a believer, is the work of salvation. Yeah, and you know if we believe that that the Holy Spirit starts, you know God as the Holy Spirit starts initiates the call to salvation. He begins the work of salvation, then he will finish the work, and just like the verse says, until the day of Christ Jesus. And so we can have a confidence in our, we can have an assurance of our salvation. This kind of gets to the doctrine of uh, the assurance of our salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I mean, some people would would call it eternal security. Others would call it once saved, always saved. But it's, I mean, it's a doctrine that I hold to, and I believe that, that this verse lends its support to that doctrine. Um, because if God can start salvation, and, and he's the one, if you believe God starts salvation— and he initiates it, then you have to believe that he will finish it because the Bible says that God finishes what he starts. Yeah, and if he can't do that, if he's unable to finish it, then that takes away, or that is a like a slap in the face of God's omnipotence. Yeah, and that's, because he's not powerful enough yeah, to finish something. Like if, he start, <laughs> if, he, if he starts something and you say, well, he can't finish the work of salvation, yeah, then he's not God. Yeah. Uh, I really like, this is one of the other commentaries that I'm looking at. Uh, it's called the Word Biblical Commentary, and a lot of the stuff that I'm drawing from the Greek is is 
from this word biblical commentary because that's what he does. This guy just breaks down the Greek and he talks really about how the Greek applies and the mm-hmm. form and structure. But um, he says this about this verse and he says, so if God calls the community of faith, he stands also at the end to call and bring each member to their desired goal of their faith, the salvation of their soul. And to me, this this really speaks to God's transcendence because we have to remember God is not bound by time. God is not bound mm-hmm. by the rules of the earth. You know, everything flows from God. If you if you believe John chapter one, you know the cre- there is a distinction between the Creator and the created, and the created can never dictate to the Creator. Right. Um. And and so nothing in creation can dictate back to its Creator, and so. If God, standing outside of time, says, I'm going to begin this work in this person's life, he already sees, and he's already there at the end of that person's life. Yeah. And and so he is the beginning and the end of it, and then he works providentially through that process. The person sees it in a finite perspective. God sees it in a transcendent perspective that says, I see the beginning and the end, and I'm going to work the way that I want to work in between the beginning and the end. Yeah. Now, how he does that is debatable. <laughs> right. We, I think, I don't, I don't know if this will help, but we see God's work in like a single straight line. Yes. Like from like this point on, it's a single straight line. Yeah. God sees it, and I've re- I'm really hesitant to put it this way, but God sees it almost in a like f- not not like a I'm not involved. But like a from above, like he's he can see the whole thing. Yeah, he can see the whole picture. It's like if you look at the Earth from the ground, it looks flat. But if you look at it from space, it's obviously a ball. Sorry, flat earthers. Michael's going off the deep end here. I'm just. No. <laughs> but but like I, I'm I'm just that that's like the that's the best analogy it's, I can come up yeah, with because it's, like it's it, really because, hard because our perspective like ninety nine point. Nine 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 infinite nine percentage of the people who have ever lived will only see the Earth from a perspective that allows them to see it flat. Yes, but we have like the ability to know. Like, there's a handful of people who have seen it from space and know that mm-hmm. it's not flat. It, it yeah. is shaped like a ball, mm-hmm. and so like in the same way, like our understanding of what God's doing is flat and looks like a straight line yeah god sees it as more i don't i that may be a really crappy analogy but (laughs) no no it's but it what it does is it gets at the depth and the almost impossibility of actually understanding it short of eternity And, and we won't we won't understand it until we get to eternity and something we've talked about before like if we could understand it would it be worth yeah, if a finite thing could logically explain the infinite, does that speak positively or negatively about the infinite? Right. You know, and and I would argue that if the finite can explain, if creation can dictate to the creator, then the creator has not sufficiently transcended his creation. Yeah. It would be my argument at that point. I, and I, so, agree, with, I, I agree 100% with that. So... What this do, what the assurance of our salvation does is it gives us confidence, but this confidence should lead us to be happy and humble people. We're happy because of God's continual work in our lives, and we're humble because we've gotten something that we don't deserve. Mm-hmm. 
You know, we've gotten grace and mercy that we didn't deserve. We didn't earn it. Um, there's nothing we could do to earn it. There's nothing in us that says, I'm going to choose this person because of this condition in their life or whatever it was, you know, some foreseen faith or anything like that. It is a completely unconditional choosing, and it's an, it, that is what should give us our humbleness, yeah. our humility. Yeah. And so until, mm-hmm. we, until we reach that, I, you know, I hear people argue for, you know, eternal security, and they're like, oh, you should be bold and proud. And I was like, I would not do that if I were you because <laughs> you are stepping into territory that is not familiar. Right. Um, so, but we have this, this joy in God's work. We have God working and finishing in us. Mm-hmm. And then Paul's, the next two verses are, are almost like a detour before he gets into the final prayer, which is verses 9 through 11. Mm-hmm. Um, but in these next two verses, we're going to talk about the joy through the affection. Yeah. Showing affection. So let's dive into those two. Yeah, so he kind of like repeats verses 3 and 4. Yeah. But he kind of expounds on those points he's already made. Yeah. Um, he continues to use the word all, um, but this drives home the importance of unity within the church. Um, yeah. He's like making sure like, you know, we, we kind of talked about last week, verse 2, Paul is writing, you know, he, he wrote specifically, um, I'm sorry, the end of verse 1. He said, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, yeah. including the overseers and deacons, like, in my head, in this in this seeing this kind of made it click for me. Like initially, I was like, "Oh, this is just like this is a letter to everybody, but especially the overseers and deacons and deacons, overseers mm-hmm. and deacons, <laughs> deacons." That's a that's gosh, a new one. <laughs> that's a new one. No, but but Paul here is saying, "No, this is to everybody because we're all members of the family of God. Yeah. Like we're all yeah. we're all following Jesus, um, and, and you know this letter is." going to be really important in defining what a unified church looks like. Yeah. What a uni- what what it means to be united. Um and, and even though his like we talked about it, even though Paul's circumstances are terrible. Yeah. His he's still joyful in his attitude toward the church. Like I'm in, I'm in jail, y'all are out there doing the work of God. I'm in here doing not doing what I wish I could be doing, which is what y'all are doing. But I'm still going to be joyful. Because yep. I have Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you know, he he does this repeating all thing, and and we 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 kind of made light of the you know he's calling out the overseers and deacons like hey you hey you in the back y'all are all part of this too, mm-hmm. but I mean the the reality is he keeps repeating it because. Jeez Louise, how many times do we have to say something? Do I have to say something to my kids? And I'm like, yeah. how many times am I going to have to repeat myself? You know, yeah. and I mean, and this is, I mean, this is kind of Paul's baby. You know, the, yeah. this church at Philippi is Paul's baby, but he, you know, he says in verse seven, "It's right for me to think this way about all of you, all of you, and, yes, and you are all partners with me in grace." Yeah, um, and and then for God is my witness, how deeply I miss all of you. It's like it's yeah. almost like he's saying. Now this is going to be a detour, but you know the meme of Jesus standing on the hill, and it's like. <laughs> Um, you know, be nice. The, you know, the Gary love, love, love everybody. I think we mentioned this last week. Actually, <laughs> yes, like, we did. We love everybody. What about Gary? Yeah, he's terrible. Did I stutter? And Gary's like, "Ha, suck it, losers!" And Jesus, is like, "Not now, Gary." Like, I feel like Paul is saying, like, Paul is almost like in this, like, "I'm gonna love you all, yeah, even if you are Gary's, even if you're Gary, <laughs> like, like, even like, it's almost, it's almost like that deacons and overseers thing it was like, even you, Gary, um, yeah." 
but yeah, it, this is this this I think that's maybe the whole like not the whole point, but this is yeah. going to be the driving point of Paul's the first few verses. Yes, here. it is, and and this love, this affection that he has for them, again, is just like his joy. It's rooted in Christ. Mm-hmm. And when we have this joy, this affection that is rooted in Christ, this love for brothers, sisters in Christ, um, then it should not affect, or let me say that right, it should not be difficult to share that love with other people. Yeah. Okay. And and this is going to, and this is both believers and non-believers. This is going to be the grounds for evangelism that Paul's going to dive into next week. Yeah. Another teaser. Yeah. Um, you know, we're we're going to hit into this next week, but. This should drive us to evangelism. Again, let's tie it back to verse 6, where we just came from. The humility of God finishing the work that he began in you, the work of salvation, should drive you to share that with other people. That's what a a humble attitude towards that work is going to do. Yeah. Um, And so when we have a joy that is truly rooted in Christ, is truly found in Christ, the same joy that Paul has here in these verses— that type of evangelism, that type of sharing, and and this is understand what I'm saying here. This is not running down the street and like shaking people and being like, "You need Jesus, you need Jesus." Um, this is not that type, but this is a very determined, relationship-driven. It seeks out relationships, it develops relationships, and again, this is why I said earlier that it was kind of anti-American mentality because mm-hmm. the an- the American mentality says. Have all of the friends so you can be as popular as you can be. You know, you can have everybody know who you are. Um, you know, I think about the the show Cheers. Some sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. You know, and like that's what we want in in our American mindset. But the mindset that Paul is trying to get us into here is one that says, "No, I want to go where I can be invested into, and I can invest into." Mm-hmm. And and that's going to be a very small group of people. In your life, it's going to look like discipleship. It's is what it's going to look like, yeah. and when we have that, and it's truly rooted in Christ, then that sharing of love, that affectionate love that Paul's talking about in seven and eight, will will come out naturally. Yeah, I believe it will. Yeah, and so we go from the affection, and then we're going to close it out with talking about the the prayer because Paul seven and eight he he slightly detours, does this kind of back and forth thing. And then in verse 9 through 11, he says, and I'm going to pray this way. I'm praying yeah. this for you. Yeah. So let's dive into the prayer. Yeah. So um, back in verse 4, Paul mentions praying for the church of Philippi with joy. Um, and now here in verse 9, he is actually writing out what he's praying. So yeah. like – and this is this is really interesting. I haven't thought about this before. But like Paul is telling the church of Philippi specifically what he's praying for them. Yeah, it, it's kind of like if you've ever like prayed for somebody via text. Have you ever done that? Where like someone says, "Man, I could use some prayer." He's like, you just write out a text back to him real quick. Yeah, like it, it kind of feels like what Paul, that's what Paul is doing here. Is like, yes, okay, here I'm telling you what I'm praying. Um, but he, but he starts this whole thing in verse nine by praying that their love will continue to grow along mm-hmm. with their knowledge and discernment. Um, and, and you know this points back to that apart from knowledge of God and his word, we won't love in a way that glorifies him and blesses others. Yeah. Like if we don't know who God is, we don't know his character and we don't know his word, there's no way for us to glorify God and bless others. And that our love for others is rooted in our knowledge of God. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and this is not a I have to accept everything love. This is a discerning and truth holding and truth telling love. Yeah. You know, there there's times when Paul gets on to, to churches. I mean, look at look at Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul has to correct churches several times in his letters. But at the end of the day, you know that that correction is coming out of a place of love. And, yeah. and when you're corrected in love, it feels different than when somebody's just like berating you. Yeah. It's, it's a, uh, it feels like it. Wow. I, I really am not doing good, but yeah. thank you for pointing that out. Like that. It's, it's <laughs> almost like, it's almost like that kind of feeling instead of like a, wow, that guy just does not like me. Yeah, exactly. And, and when you, and those are two different things. Like when you, when someone points out your, flaws in love you are more likely to make changes in your life like if someone is just like complaining and wailing on you because and they're not doing it in a loving way you're not gonna yeah i'm not gonna make changes in my life if you're gonna treat me like if you're gonna treat me like a lesser person i'll i'll say something uh moderately controversial here Here we go um this is uh, i believe that that this type of attitude is where the church has failed with the lgbtq community um a hundred percent agree with that. We have we have not spoken to them as a church. Now individuals, yes, and you hear stories about that, but as a as a church, as people interact with the church, um, we have been condescending, we have been hateful, we have said you're uh, you know, not necessarily untrue things, but if you say something that is true in a hateful way, that's just as bad as saying something hateful. Yep. Uh, or saying something wrong, I guess I should say. Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. Yes. And so now we're we're kind of turning the corner and we're trying to engage with the LGBTQ community in a more respectful and loving way and say, hey man, um, I really disagree with your lifestyle. I really disagree with those choices. I really disagree with what you say is truth. You know, what you're claiming is truth. I disagree with that, but that doesn't mean that I don't love you. And 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 a lot of times when those people are are done and and there are people who do it well and people who don't do it well, but when it's done by and large, a lot of times those people are branded as liberals because, you know, they're not just calling out sin. And and I think I've I've mentioned this um in a, a long time ago, previous episode, but one of the one of the biggest examples that I saw about this was at the SBC convention in 2021, um, where a guy got up and made a motion, and this this one was regarding abortion. And again, I think I think you can lump all of this together. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy made a, 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 a motion about abortion, and he was like, you know, we need to to call these women to repentance and to uh, turn from their wicked ways and all this kind of stuff. And the the lady who was kind of on the platform speaking to the motion, she was like, uh, respectfully, as somebody who has worked in crisis pregnancy care centers for the last 20 years, no, we don't need to do that. Right. Because these people are so broken when they come in there the majority of the time that you know we need to, we need to extend grace and we need to extend mercy. And and yes, we need to fight for that unborn life in their in their womb. We need to do that at every aspect, but we do not need to do it with with condescension and you know fire don't hellfire need, and brimstone. Don't need to do it with complete <laughs> disregard for the mother. Exactly. Which is, I mean, yes, every life is 
precious, and I believe that life begins at conception. I 100% believe that. But when somebody shows up at a at a pregnancy center or an abortion clinic and they're, you know, they're trying to make that decision or they've already made, like, that's not, sometimes that's not a decision that's taken lightly. That's a decision yeah. made out of, I mean, they've considered it, thought through all their options. It's They're terrified. The You know, they're worried about, like, what's going to happen to them. Like, yeah, it's not to downgrade the act of abortion, but, like, if you, if all you do is berate somebody, you're making a bad situation worse, and you're they're never going to want to set foot yeah. in a church because of what somebody who, in the name of Jesus, said to them yeah. when they were going through of what is arguably probably the most difficult thing that a woman could go through yeah. Absolutely. when they're having to make that choice. There you go. So that's our tangent. I'll just I'll Ugh. leave that one. I'll <laughs> leave that one where it is. But um, you know, I I think that the church needs to better engage in this this concept of not accepting everything, but also engaging in truth and love. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, so let's you know let's talk. Let's continue on here. We're talking about truth. We're talking about knowledge. The next thing he says is discernment. And a lot of times, many a lot of people, and I I know I grew up this way, thinking discernment was like. This ability, this like almost you can't explain it uh, ability to have a hunch or a premonition that something is going to go a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and biblically speaking, discernment is more about using the wisdom and knowledge that you already have to make a decision in a certain direction. It's a well-informed, thought-out conclusion based on your foreknowledge. Yes. Yes. And... So discernment here is not about just jumping the gun and saying, we're, you know, I feel like we need to go do this, but it's more like, okay, here's what's happened. Here's the decision we have to make. Here's the pros and cons of each decision. You know, let's go to scripture. Let's, let's try Mm -hmm. to search this out and let's pray about it. And then let's go in the path. Now, sometimes it may, it may come down to, man, uh, I've read God's word and I just, you know, I believe that we need to go in this direction. It may, and that, and that's a lot of times that's what we call a hunch. Um, but again, that is not so much a hunch as it is I'm seeking God. This is this is what I'm reading. This is the conclusion that I'm coming to mm-hmm. through reading God's word. And and so I believe that we need to go this way. Yeah. It may not make logical sense, but yeah. this is the way that I that I feel like we should go. But the but the completion of like discernment is where like your knowledge or your belief. In actual practice, like that's, yeah. that's where those two ideas cross. They, yeah, it's, they it's come not. In. It's not where you know. It's not just like a oh, we're just doing this because I feel like it. It's like a yeah. no. I've we've looked at all the options. We've laid it all out there, and here's where we're going. And this is like I. Th- I think we could better understand discernment if we had a practice of explaining the why behind the action. Yeah, if we had less heated discussions about difficult decisions mm-hmm. instead of arguing past each other and trying to um, gaslight and and just throw bombs at, at the quote air quote here now it's my turn air quote opposing party you know the opposing people mm-hmm. um, then then I think discernment would reign a little bit more than our sensationalism that we have yeah in our in our current context and culture so when you get down to the root of discernment what it really does is it is it shows that it can be founded on actual deep discipleship in the church. 
Mm. Because when you have people who are truly seeking after God, praying for God's will, you know, they may not come to the same conclusion, but they're always going to have respect for the people that they disagree with. Yeah. And that's what discipleship is going to build. Yeah. And and then the point of all of this that Paul really the point of all these eight, nine verses that we've gone through yeah. today is that the growth that the church is experiencing will be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. There won't be any like ulterior motives. There won't be any mm-hmm. like any anyone caught off guard and like, well, we learned this back in like there won't like this will all be what it's supposed to be. Yeah. When we get when when we come to the day of Christ, um, yeah. and and don't hear me say like Paul's expecting the church at Philippi to be perfect because he's not. No. He's he's expecting them to continually grow yeah. as believers as part of the sanctification sanctification process, which is what we're all experiencing. We are all like Anthony and I sin all the time. Sin daily. <laughs> don't I? I mean, but so like so do you as a listener. So like, yeah, don't, absolutely. Don't, don't be caught off. Don't be caught off guard. Like, oh man, I sinned today. Like, yeah, you did because you're human and you're not perfect and you're still <laughs> being sanctified, and yeah. you will continue to sin daily until you, yeah. until you're glorified in Jesus. So, yeah. Um, but Paul's not. With, you know, he's not expecting Phil, the Philippian church to be perfect. No, and that's why Paul tells um, other believers. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah. Because, you know, again, go back to the humility thing. You know, none of us is perfect. And so we need to always kind of assume that, hey, man, I could be wrong on this. Yeah. It's possible for me to be wrong here. Um, and I'm just going to keep growing. I'm going to keep letting my prayer affect me, affect me. And I'm going to keep growing in, mm-hmm. in my knowledge and understanding and discernment of Christ Jesus yeah. until the day of Christ Jesus. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I think it's... Uh, we, when you brought up sanctification there, I think there there is a distinction that we... I think... I'm pretty sure we've made this. I think when we talked about justification, um, mm-hmm. we talked about this. But the, the difference between justification and sanctification, because, you know, yes, we are saved, and the Bible speaks of us being saved. So, which is it? Are we saved or are we being saved? Because in English, you can't have both of those. Right. Um, so... You can have both. You can't have both, and here's how. Do um, it. So justification, we talked about sanctification versus justification. San- justification is the immediate declaration of righteousness. That is the moment you are saved. You are no longer yes. slave to sin. You are a follower of Jesus. You are living for him. It is a legal term. Oh, I didn't know in, that. In in the Bible, it is a legal term. Okay, cool. So, so justified, legal. Um, mm-hmm. Sanctification is one, a process, um, mm-hmm. and it's continual. Um, and that is the that is what is how we're working out towards the righteousness which we will achieve once we're glorified once we leave earth that's how we're verse 11 filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God what quit reading the Bible Anthony you're you're stop it um, you're scaring the no. children <laughs> scaring the children no that's that's exactly and and I've heard it explained this way, and I've, it's not a perfect analogy, but I'll, I'll run with this to, to differentiate justification and sanctification. Justification is you're on trial. You have been declared not guilty. Okay? You walk out of the courtroom. Everybody around that courtroom still sees you and goes, mm, I don't know if I trust that guy yet. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're, 
but you continually you continually kind of show, hey man, I was not guilty, and I'm showing you through my actions, I'm showing you through these the way that I'm I'm carrying myself in my life that that charge against me was not true. Mm-hmm. It was not guilty. Now, you know, when it, again I say it's it's not a perfect analogy, it's not even close to a perfect analogy, but in my mind, the the best way that I can kind of form the difference is is when you're when you're declared not guilty, when the jury says not guilty, you are not guilty. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you're gonna you're not gonna carry the stigma that that comes because you were in the trial in the first place. Right. So just a little just a little side note there on justification and sanctification. Are we gonna get real legal in Philippians? Not legalistic, but are we going to talk a lot about legal Paul terms? uses, Paul, I mean, you, you got to remember that Paul was the chief. That's true. I forgot about yeah, that. I mean, he, he, was, he was the big guy. He was the big wig. And so Paul uses a lot of his um, Jewish roots and Jewish heritage yeah. to, to filter into his writing to the Gentiles and he, to the, the New Testament church. He talks a lot about what he knows. Yes, could be and one he, way. To, he knows a lot because he, he has grown he, up in it. He does. <laughs> so there we go. There's verses uh, 3 through 11. We wow. managed it, hopefully, in, in one episode. <laughs> we're, at, we're at an hour and a half right now, so we'll, I'm going to see how much of it I can cut out. <laughs> uh, but, man, what a, what a great discussion. Mm-hmm. What a, it, And next week we're going to be diving into the, the partnership of the gospel, Paul encouraging the church to move on. So uh, looking forward to next week. We're going to go through verse 18 uh next week 12 through 18 so be reading up on that um but man uh michael it's time to pray it is time to pray and i think we should do it and then we'll let everybody know uh where they can do that so i think it's my turn to pray because i think you prayed last week so if you will Man, uh, let me have the opportunity to pray over you, to pray for you uh, in our study here in Philippians. God, we come to you and we thank you for uh, each person who is listening to this. Uh, we pray that you will bless them and bless them in their life. And God, I pray that this study on joy, this us discussing joy and how as believers we can have joy in our lives would be beneficial. It would be fruitful that, that it will affect us and we can continue to grow in our knowledge, in our discernment, of, of your word. We can continue to grow in our knowledge of you, um, and that would deepen our relationship with you, God. I thank you for the joy that it is to, to have people listen. Uh, I thank you for the joy that, that the two of us get to have to just sit down and discuss this um, in, in, this, in this world today. And, and God, we thank you that the promise that you will finish what you started is something that we can hang our hats on. And, and we know that uh, Christ is coming at the, the ultimate pinnacle and completion is that Christ will come and, and will redeem a new earth and a new creation. And so we're grateful and we're thankful for that. Um, and so God, as we go out into another week, I pray that you would bless each person that listens, uh, that they would know and understand, they would go deep into your word. And uh, I pray that we can be a part of that encouragement for them. So we ask your blessings on them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, Michael, if they want to get a hold of us on social media platforms, where would they do that? You can find the Beers and Bible podcast on Instagram at Beers and Bible underscore. You can find us on Twitter at Beers and Bible P1. You can find us on Facebook by searching Beers and Bible Podcast. 
you can email us uh, beers and Bible podcast at gmail.com. And then you can also find our website beers and Bible podcast.com where you can pick up some B and B merch and represent your favorite beers and Bible podcast. Well, until next week, I hope that your beer stays cold and your Bible stays open and we will see you later. Peace out. Peace out.